Today's sermon is from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, because she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? The one, I suppose, Simon answered, for whom he canceled the greater debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I wonder if the Holy Spirit is trying to make a point by having somebody with a migraine read the text and somebody who's depressed preach on it. This is really quite a pair going on here. It's kind of funny. Why did I want to preach on this? It's summer and I'm, I'm getting a chance to pick to preach what I want to preach on. Just I just get to, I get to throw a dart at a board if I want. I just pick a text. It's kind of fun that way. But what I'm actually being a little more intentional in that, and what I'm, I'm really waiting and listening, or trying to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying to me, just kind of listening to what I've, things that are jumping me, things that are crisp or fresh or alive. One of the things I constantly am drawn to in the New Testament is something I want to share with you as, our, as my brothers and sisters. And that is... That's just, how, how, how is it that, that that girl winds up with Jesus? I, you know, I, um, you guys, some of you guys know my story. I mean, I've told you tons of times. And um, the funny thing about growing up around prostitutes is when you're a kid, you don't know what that means. You, know, you don't know what they do. It doesn't mean anything to you. It wasn't until many years later when my mom was talking about those people that I put it together. I had no, I had no idea. No idea. 
Well, my first church, the first time a, a girl from the street came to church. She was very, she was a pretty girl, and um, she only came once. And I took her out to lunch, and um, she disappeared. That happens a lot on the street, by the way. Literally, just disappeared. She probably died. And uh, the, you see things like that happen. And, and I had I remember having this thrill, this moment. I was like, oh. And I don't know whether it's because of the way I was raised or the places I was raised, but I just had this joy, this passion. You know, <laughs> it's like it just I couldn't control it. And it happened again in Atlanta. In Atlanta, I was called uh, late at night to the uh, late night to that was an f- alarm at the church building. God had blessed us with a building. So I get out there at 3 a.m. And uh, I, sometimes I tell the membership class this, but I get there at 3 a.m. And, and I'd never been at the building at 3 a.m. before. So I had never seen all of the transgender prostitutes. They were everywhere. It's weird to go to a place at night that you've been during the day and see it be that different. And I began to pray, Father, I want a ministry. I would love to have a ministry amongst these, amongst these boys. And I prayed and prayed, and I asked God to do it. Now, I don't think as a pastor it's my job to start ministries. I think it's something the Holy Spirit does amongst our people. It'll happen here. It has happened here. But what I'm tell you a story of is that I was talking to my aunt, Elaine, about being a prostitute and about, about, even about this text. I remember talking to her about it. I said, you know what's funny, Elaine? It's funny to me that these women chose to be with Jesus. Like, they, like, they, like all right, so they're done working. And when, and when you're a woman working like that, you don't get to choose what men you spend time with. That's not a choice you get to make on the street. But when you're not working, you get to be very picky. And trust me, they are. I remember saying to Elaine, I've always thought that women, women when, when, when you're not working, you must be very picky. And she said, direct quote, honey, you have no idea. Okay. She chose to be with Jesus. She's not the only one. There are others. She chose, she got up and went, I want to go and be with that guy. I heard the things he said. I've seen him. Who is he? What's he doing? I want to be with you. And all I can say, guys, is all I want to say is, I want to be like that. I want to be that person. I want Corey to be like that. <laughs> I want Natalie. I want Carol. I want us to be that person, to be that presence. That to me is the mind, presence, and joy, and glory of the risen Christ living among us, you know, like breathing here. And I just, I guess I get excited. I snuck out a Reese's peanut butter cup for later. Uh, I know. I want us to be that place. I just imagine, what is it like? Like, what are the feelings there? Like, what's the attitude of the people? Like, how do they engage with people that are very different and very frightening or, or might look intimidating? Or how, how do they interact with people that they would normally despise, maybe even by reflex? Uh-oh. Like, I... Like, where, where does that exist? Where is a church where people love God like that, where girls and men and women are that broken? They, they find, I'm, I'm going to go home. I want to find some place I'll be safe. I don't know churches. Do you know churches like that? So I, I, that was what motivated this message. 
So what I was thinking about doing is I'm just going to walk through the three characters. We have Simon, we have Jesus, and we got this woman. We don't know her name. Tradition says it's Mary Magdalene, but we have no reason to say that it is. And I just want to explore some, some things that I learn about the gospel as I go through here. You know, I pray, you know, I prayed a lot about this message today, and I was praying for each one of you. Because when I, when I, get, when I get very, very depressed, I can't think. My mind shuts down. I can't, like, I can't. It's like thinking through mud. And I just, so I just pray, just pray for you all. And prayed that you would, you would, uh, you would hear this. You know what I prayed? Look at verse, um, look at verse um, 40. See verse 40. Does anybody, does anybody recognize what a strange verse that is? What does it say? Jesus answered him. What's funny about the fact that it says Jesus answered him? What's so funny about that? He didn't say anything. <laughs> he didn't speak. I say, you know, a lot of times when I'm preaching, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know if you're even paying attention, right? I, you can fool me. You can play games. You can do whatever you want, I guess. I prayed that you, Alex, and, and you, Jack, and I pray that you would hear Jesus answering you. Wouldn't that be cool? Because I think that's a part of the great work of the Spirit. That as a preacher, I can be preaching about something, and while I'm preaching, even though it's not aimed at you, it's answering you. <laughs> so I'm praying tonight that Jesus will be answering your objections, answering your heart, answering you in the deep places where you say, how could Chris say that? <laughs> or is he crazy, or is that true? Or could that be true for me? This idea that Jesus answering you today, tonight, I love that. Don't you, don't, have you ever had that happen, by the way, when a preacher's preaching? You're like, oh my goodness, he can read my mind. Have you ever had that happen? I've had a number of people over the years come to me and tell me that happened while I'm preaching. So why not pray that it happens? Because something else has to happen here. And that verse 40 is very instructive, isn't it? Because it's telling us that this is really a spiritual moment. When I'm talking about grace in the gospel, do you know what's really necessary? Holy Spirit. I'm talking about grace in the gospel and the excitement of knowing Jesus. Or, or, or uh, you know what's really, really necessary to deal with the objections that exist in your heart and the ways in which you, you buckle down or you want to fight the ideas or you don't want to respond or you don't want to hear? We need a spiritual action, don't we? We need supernatural work. And, and, and in the life of Christ, this kind of, this kind of wonderful, it's almost like the Holy Spirit's massaging the situation <laughs> and working in it and just bringing lots of truth out. I'm praying that God will do that tonight. Wouldn't that be sweet to have God answering you in your heart? All right, let's get started then. Let's take a look at the woman. Let's take a look at this woman. Let's take a look at this girl. And what do we learn? And what can we learn from her? The first thing that I learned from her, and I think, I think the thing that, that jumps out the most to me, is just the power of the Spirit's conviction. I mean, you know, it's funny. You might be tempted to think, oh, she's a hooker 
She must feel bad all the time. Now, that's a mistake, you know that. Um, I remember uh, my mom actually was good friends with another woman who was a prostitute, and she used to be very brazen and very proud. Now, I've met women like very proud of what they do, very proud of, the, of being a courtesan or some sort of, a, a very taking pride in the work they do, not ashamed. We must not think that she's simply a broken person, she's just another one of those broken, ruined people. No! That is not what's going on. This is not a psychiatric call for help. This is not a breakdown of a human being. This is not a nervous breakdown. This is somebody under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever had the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Holy cow! <laughs> it's extraordinary. We should be hungry for the Holy Spirit to be doing this work, right? I'm serious, y'all. We need conviction in this age. Well, I am hungry for conviction for me. I'm the pastor. I'm the hardest to convict right? I'm the one who knows these things. I know, and conviction comes slow, doesn't it? Does it come slow for you, bro? Have you, have you all gotten good at kind of arming yourself against conviction? Anybody? Any takers? You arm yourself against feeling anything negative? Let us cry, and let us look, and let us ask, and let us seek, and let us want the ministry of the Spirit in conviction. It's one of the greatest needs of the age to break through the garbage, to break through the, the barriers, to break through the fighting, to break through the, I'm a, I'm a, and break whatever it is, and to break in, and to break through, and to break out with love. And we are so desperately need a work of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you should make it your business to pray for that for your pastor without ceasing, and for the other people around. We need the conviction, because that's what it looks like. Because the second thing I observe, and the second thing that I observe in her that I so hungry, I so want, is a people who finally, who have finally, who have finally given up being respectable about Jesus. Who's got time? Like, you know, I don't like the way I preach. I think the way I preach is kind of embarrassing to me. I, I don't like the manners. I don't like, the, I feel like God's fool. But I do know this. God has used this to save people. Praise him. Let me be a fool for everybody. Let me stand on my head and spit pumpkin seeds. Praise him if people will come to Christ, right? But we are all so concerned with being dignified, not being respected, not looking, having decorum, not looking weird. You don't want to be one of those strange people, one of those sold-out people, one of those, no. Well, oh, that's her personality. Me. That's not my personality. I am so tired of people hiding behind personality from the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sick of my duty. You know what's so precious about this woman? You could swear, you could swear she had just read Ephesians 1. Like, she knows Jesus loves sinners. Like, she knows grace. She knows grace in the gospel. And at this point in Luke, that's barely there. Jesus has been preaching. He's preaching. He's present. And she gets it. And you know what that tells me? You know what that whispers to me? You know what that suggests? It is the work of the Holy Spirit <laughs> again, right? And it's so necessary. You have bigger Bibles than she did. She didn't have a John 3.16 to read or a 1 Timothy to know that she was a, 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 the chief of sinners deserving. No, she just knew it down to her toes. You 
you know, it might be even interesting to think, some of you might think, it's kind of weird she busted into a dinner. Different culture, y'all. These were public affairs. They were big dinners. You notice he's reclining? He's reclining at the table. It's almost like a, almost a Roman kind of eating. It's very different. And she comes in, and it's, it would have been open. She would have been able to get into the room at some point, probably with the servants. And, of course, this is an awkward moment. I'm just, I am tired of being Presbyterian if it means that, if it means that we have to love our decorum more than being sold out and embarrassed for Jesus. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. All right. That's what I feel like I learned from her. She's not ashamed. She's not controlled by pride. She's alive with one idea and one only in her heart. God loves sinners. I don't know how she figured it out. God loves sinners, and that meant her. God loves sinners. Didn't matter what she had done with her body and how much she had, was regarded as trash by everybody else. Jesus loves sinners. That's why I'm up here talking. Otherwise, I wouldn't dare. But Jesus loves sinners, so I get included, and I get to preach. <laughs> All right. What do we learn from Simon? Let's go on. Let's keep, let's keep going. Let's see what we can learn from Simon. This woman, so I see this woman as a great invitation into gospel love, into gospel passion, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What about Simon? Simon's a great character right here. Did you notice? Uh, this is really to Luke's credit. Luke's, Luke, Luke's definitely the finest writer of the New Testament when it comes to his Greek prose. And even in this story, even the way it's kind of presented to you, it's really kind of sweet the way it, you know, it, it, it's, there's a deep irony in the text. Yeah, all right, so you, do you get, you get the game here? Like Simon thinks he is the person who's, he thinks he's the smartest person in the room. He is the religious leader, right? He's making the calls, he's watching. And he has a thought. And he sees that Jesus doesn't seem to recognize that this woman's a hooker. Now, two things, guys. First of all, women who work in those professions tend to advertise with what they wear and how makeup and stuff like that. So it may have been easily identifiable, but it's also just as likely, probably more likely, that these are smaller towns back then. And if you grew up in a small town or not, <laughs> but when a girl is, 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 uh, gets a bad reputation in that situation, it tends to be that's the way she's known forever. That's just the way it is. It's a mixture of the two, probably. Who knows? We don't need to know. We don't need to know. Simon knows, and he thinks Jesus is a chump. I want you to, there's something clever here. Simon says, if he could see, if Jesus could really see what she is, well, he wouldn't let her touch him. Now, what's the joke here? Who's really blind? You see, you have to step out of it for a second. You take a look. I'm sorry, Joyce. You take a look, and the, and the, and the irony is, Simon's the one that's blind. He can't see. He can't see who Jesus is. He can't see what grace is operative. He can't see who he is. He can't see anybody. He doesn't understand anybody in that room. But he thinks he does. And what do we learn from Simon? The, the appearance of this character of Simon. The first thing we learn is, is, is we learn about something, a person we've all met. I call him generic religious twit. 
generic religious twit, insert person. You, all have a, you must all have a picture of somebody when I said that. Come on. Come on. You don't have to tell me who it was, but we all know who we're talking about. People who are very religious and good at it. Unfortunately, that's most of us. We get good at being religious. We get good at it. Whether you like, you know, there may have been a day when Simon was more like that girl, but at this point in his life, he's not. <laughs> he is. He is. The good guy, he thinks of himself. Good way. He's blind. Um, the first thing I learn is that um, I learn that Simon is like a, an ugly caricature of me. A caricature of me in some way. Where I have thought I know something, or I've thought I was mature when I really wasn't. Has anybody else done this? Has anybody else thought they were mature only to kind of stumble over yourself and do something really embarrassing and stupid? You ever meet a religious person, Christian or otherwise, who obviously thinks they're mature, you can be sure of one thing immediately, and what's that? They are not mature at all. And in fact, I'm going to push this, push this a little further. This has been a regular experience in my ministry. I'll give you an example from my, uh, tr- uh, for a couple of years ago. Uh, there were two couples in my, in, a ch- in my church, and they were both they were couples of friends. One couple was very immature. I mean immature. I mean just tear your hair out. It's like the kind of people that just cannot figure out how to do anything right in their lives. And they just were baby Christians. The other couple was very mature. They, they, they wanted to teach and lead and fashion themselves as leaders and had volunteered to lead and wanted to be an elder and elder training and everything like that. Well, those two couples had conflict. And I, I, I tell you, I've seen this happen again and again. There's nothing like, quote, people who think they're godly talking crap about other people. It's just unbelievable. It makes you want to tear your hair out. You're just sitting there listening. Do you hear yourself? Do you hear can you, can Simon hear himself? He can't. What we learn is that there is a particular and a peculiar and a dangerous blindness that happens to religious people. And you should be very, very wary yourself. And you should be praying for me as well that we do not fall into these traps of imagining and loving ourselves or imagining we're something we're not. Becoming what? Self-righteous. It can happen. You can be self-righteous about how small our church is. You can. You can be self-righteous about anything. You say you're better than all those people. Or we do, we're more conservative. We love Jesus more. We do this more. We do that better. All of that. Is from our enemy. It smells like smoke. Beware of thinking you're mature. But you know what? I see something else here. I'm going to speculate something here. How do we know what Simon was thinking? Now, there's a number of ways you can do this. Um, we believe that the narrator of the Bible, I believe it, you may not believe it, but I believe the narrator of the scripture has, a, has God's perspective. He has, a, he, has a, he has a universal narrator kind of power. He can see things because God lets him see things and say things. And that could certainly be the case here. But I doubt it. I, what, I want, what I'm left wondering is whether Simon ever told everybody later 
what he was thinking in that room. Because it's just the kind of thing a Christian would wind up telling everybody later. Do you know what I thought? <laughs> because You know why I think that? Because Christ has his eye on loving Simon. Do you see that? He, oh, his attitude, demeanor that I want to have, it, it invites that woman, doesn't it? But even as he's inviting her, even as he's receiving her, even as her worship is pouring out, he turns and he shows love to Simon. You know that little parable he tells about the two guys being forgiven, one being a hundred denarii, the other one being 50? He is handing Simon the tools to see that he has not understood the wretchedness of his debt before a holy God. And that's love. Jesus is tenderly loving him by letting him see you have not seen the gospel. And not only have you not seen the gospel, you have not even begun to worship me like this woman has. What did Jesus deserve when he walked in that door, guys? What did Jesus deserve in any door he has ever walked in across all of space and time? Everybody in the room... And that would just be obedience. Like it's not, like that's just what he deserves. And he's got to walk in these rooms with these punks, with these self-stylized, self-righteous jerks like me. Posing. Posing, putting their, you know, putting out their own, you know, you know, discernment on everybody else. Always missing. God loves sinners. That was the story. And that's the story that saves self-righteous people too. Isn't that good? Isn't it wonderful that Jesus didn't say, well, you self-righteous ones, get out. <laughs> no, he didn't. He gives you gospel answers. What does he say to the self-righteous person? You owe it to yourself to discover how it is you were wicked. You owe it to yourself, because that's the only way you will increase in your love for God, is if through the law you begin to uncover the depths of your sin. And Jesus will help you do that. He can teach you that every time you had a hateful thought, you're guilty of murder. Why, why say that? Why grind you? Why hurt you like that, Alex? So you'll come crying like the woman, right? So you will be broken. So the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come. And you'll finally see the glories of Jesus' love. He loves sinners. He loves trash. He loves what other people talk about. He loves the people that other people wish weren't at the house. <laughs> he loves the out. Oh, gosh. I'm gushing. But let me gush. I love him. I'm so thankful. And so what I figure is we need the Spirit. We're going to need the work of the Holy Spirit. To be a place where the ugly and the dirty do feel that welcome. Things are going to get messy if Jesus blesses us this way, aren't they? Oh, that would be so wonderful to be blessed with such a mess. Finally, though, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? What do we learn from Jesus? <sighs> I... Um, I, one of the things I've been focusing on tonight is kind of the intangibles, you know, like the intangible thing about Jesus. Like, 
All right, so it's one thing that Jesus said. Jesus says he loves sinners, but what does loving sinners look like in real time? Like, what is it like? What kind of attitude? Like, what's the expression on his face? Like, what's the tone and tilt of his body? And, or where does he spend his time? Or how quickly does his hand go out? How quickly are his arms open? And how quickly does he have a conversation? And, and seek, seek I, I don't know. I, those are all got to be a part of it, right? Those are all the parts and pieces of, of all the ordinary parts of love that invite all of us. We know how to be inviting. We know how to invite people. We know how to be inviting to people whose favor and attention and friendship we want. <laughs> we just start doing that to people whose attention and favor and friendship we don't want. <laughs> we show the gospel. There's something intangible about it. I get that. But I, I had this in my notes here that, um, that I, I just feel like, um, have you ever heard of a thunder shirt? You ever heard of a thunder shirt, Anybody? You can buy them for a dog. They're called a thunder shirt or a thunder jacket. And what it is, it's really heavy. It's like it's, uh, it's got weights in it. It's real thick. And what you do is you put it on your dog for during thunderstorms because some dogs during thunderstorms literally lose it. I mean, they, they literally like melt down and freak out. And my dog doesn't even notice. But, but, but a lot of dogs are, have a neurotic problem with, 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 with storms. So you can order this thing called a thunder shirt. And it's a heavy, heavy, snug uh, jacket for the dog. And it comforts them. It comforts them. So they're not f- afraid in the thunderstorm. I, mean, I guess what I'm trying to think is how to, how to get a thunder shirt on all the people who are afraid to come here. Like how, do we, how do we create that? How do we create the place where people feel that comfort and the, and the call of the gospel along with conviction? I'm hungry for that reality, y'all. I don't necessarily know what it looks like, but I think it's something we can call upon God to, to create among us. Wouldn't it be exciting? But this idea that people could be, I don't know, not, not be afraid to come. I mean, it's like, you know, I think about, put yourself in that girl's place. She knows what she looks like. She knows everybody knows. And now she's got to go to the holiest roller's house in the whole town. And she knows why she's going. She's going to go and she's going to humiliate herself. Can you imagine how many conversations she must have had on the way to that house? Ah, oh, I got the alabaster. Oh, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. No, no but I got to do it. I got to do it. I'm going crazy. I can't live like this anymore. I mean, can you imagine how scared it would be to go? Because she knows what Simon's going to look at. She knew. Do you think, do you think, do you think, People are not very good at hiding contempt. If you have contempt for people and you think you're hiding it, you're probably not. Just as a heads up. Because <laughs> I'm sure she could see the contempt in their eyes. Contempt's a very easy thing to read in people's eyes. It's a very easy um, um, expression to read. Contempt. She braved all that. She had a thunder shirt on. Grace, Grace had taken her in. She was okay to get there. Gosh, guys. I want that to be what's happening with us. And then we, are, we become this place where conviction happens and transformation happens and the folks who are broken are welcome. Because they see around us, they see in Jack and they see in Corey and Carol and each one of us, that we're just another sinner just like they are. We're just a beggar telling another beggar or I found bread. What a Savior.
Has Jesus answered you today? Did the Holy Spirit answer anybody today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for this picture of your son, your son Jesus, just lovingly, lovingly receiving, tenderly receiving, and accepting the repentance and brokenness of this woman. Forgive us, Father, for just kind of holding back, not really showing, not really repenting like she does, not really being afraid to show. Or, Father, just plow through all this. Give us the Holy Spirit with real conviction. Do the work of conviction among us. Don't spare us. And even if we don't like it, just keep going. Because we want to return to a great love. We want to return to having the claim that's right here in this text that we have been forgiven much and we love much. And you see it in our worship and you see it in our friendship and you see it in our evangelism and you see it in every word and posture of our bodies and hearts. Father, that would be a work that we need you to do. We ask for you, yeah, yeah, do that with our church and other churches too. And let us, as your bride, begin to shine and be radiant with you and radiant with your love. And we, we, just, I just, we just say thank you so much for loving us and so much for your love. We thank you so much for your love for sinners. Thanks so much, Father, for sending your Son. In Jesus' name we give you glory. Amen. Amen.